In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. Today is All Saints Sunday. Thursday was All Hallows Eve, or All Saints Eve. Friday then was All Saints Day, when we remember all the saints who have come before us. Saturday is All the Faithful Departed. And so then Sunday today is when we gather all those remembrances together in one. Saints is a word that's used in the scriptures over and over, and it's clear that uh, it's used two ways. It's used for all the faithful, all those who believe Christ, all those who believe the gospel, but it's also used for those who are uh, exemplary, who are fine examples of the faith. And this is typically how we mean the word when we use it. We're talking about a Christian who's come before us, who's been an incredible example of Christian witness. In the Anglican church, we don't have a formal process where we recognize saints. Uh, there isn't this kind of step-by-step process. It's more of a, about a local understanding. The local church understands someone who has uh, led an exemplary life, then uh, that name gets kind of passed around, and uh, over centuries or decades, uh, they kind of rise up in the remembrance. And so uh, we remember uh, people who uh, more and more come into that common knowledge. All the faithful departed then are those who are Christians who have gone before us that maybe don't have the kind of lives that are going to stand out to the whole community. Maybe they're never going to be worldwide known or maybe they're never going to be these great examples, but they are faithful and they did pass the faith to us. And so these are our Sunday school teachers and our grandparents and the people that sat next to us in church every Sunday and have gone on before us. These are the faithful departed and it is our responsibility to remember them and to receive the faith that they gave to us and to remember uh, that we are forever indebted to them for passing the faith on to us. Uh, The scriptures have been passed on, the traditions of the church have been passed on, not just by the saints, but by those faithful who have lived their lives day in and day out according to the gospel, (coughs) who have taught us how to read our scriptures, who have taught us how to to worship the Lord and to to live in, in daily examples of Christian faithfulness. And then we think about all of these people as being members of the church. The church is one. And we're going to say this in the creed in a moment, are we? We, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, right? We believe that the church is one. It's totally united. And as we read in Paul's letters, the, the church is the body of Christ, Right, So we have received the Holy Spirit and we are the body of Christ. Anglicans talk about the church in in several different ways. Uh, This is the whole group of faithful. And we remember that it's not just us here today, but it's all those faithful who have gone before us. And so we distinguish this in talking about the church militant, the church expectant, and the church triumphant. There's one church, but we're acknowledging that there are different ways to be in the church. The church militant is us. We are uh, fighting against the world, right? We are fighting against a world who tries to strip us of our faith, who tries to take away our faith, who tries to challenge our faith, who tries to teach us something other than the gospel of Christ. And so we have to be uh, militant in uh, protecting our faith, right? And using the sword, which is the word of God and and wearing the the helmet of of righteousness, right? And so we have that, that militant feel to the church here because we have to be ever vigilant. Those saints who have gone 
uh, before us now. This is the church expectant. And, and so you might say, well, why expectant? What is it they're waiting for? Well, we can see that those saints in heaven still understand and mourn for those saints that are on earth that are in the militant church. They still have an awareness and a participation. I commend to you uh, Abraham and uh, Jesus' parable about Abraham and Lazarus. They understand the suffering of those who are still in the body. They understand uh, that Christ is coming. They understand the sign. You remember that Abraham says uh, they have Moses and the prophets, and even if someone was to rise from the dead, they would not respond. And so uh, there's this clear understanding that Abraham has about the suffering in the church and the world and about what it is that brings about faith. You remember Elijah and Moses uh, meeting Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration and talking with him. What are they talking about? They're talking about his sacrifice in Jerusalem. So they're understanding the need for that sacrifice. They're participating uh, with Christ in this discussion. And so all the saints in heaven, uh, the last uh, uh, mention that I'll make is the blood of the martyrs that we read in the Revelation to St. John that are under the throne of God and that are crying out for justice. Right, So they have this expectation that things will come. After the second coming, we all will be gathered together into the church triumphant. Everything will be finished. And this is kind of what we're reading in the Revelation to St. John this morning. We're reading this transition between the church expectant to the church triumphant. These are the last stages uh, that we see. And we read about the tribulation. This has become a popular word uh, for the last 150 years or so with people that think about a millennial church and, and all of this business. Once again, we believe in one church. We believe that his kingdom will have no end. This is clear in the scriptures. It's said over and over again that his church will have no end, that his kingdom will have no end. And uh, the tribulation that's being talked about here is the tribulation that we're in. We're in tribulation right now. Christians all over the world are being persecuted right now. They're being imprisoned. They're being tortured. They're being kept from their jobs. Uh, and, uh, and there are all kinds of ways in which uh, Christians throughout the centuries have suffered tribulation. We have brothers and sisters all around the world who are suffering for their faith uh, right now. And uh, they are coming out of that tribulation, out of that suffering, ha- being washed Uh, What? In the blood of the Lamb, right? They're being washed in that common sacrifice. When they too are willing to sacrifice, uh, they come out uh, cleansed uh, by the blood of the Lamb. So this is what we are celebrating in All Saints Day. We're celebrating all the faithful departed, all the saints, the whole church, one church that is united. And so we are united with all those who have gone before us, all those who are in heaven, and we're uh, recognizing that body that we're a part of, that great membership uh, that we're a part of. And again, in the Revelation to St. John, uh, it's very clear that uh, unlike so many other religions around the world, there is no ethnicity in Christianity. Christianity is not an ethnic religion. It's not a religion about a certain language. It's not a religion about a certain tribe. There is no ethnic group that is overrepresented in the Christian faith. We read here that the multitude is made up of how many tribes? Every tribe. How many tongues? Every tongue. So what we see in heaven is that Every tribe and every tongue is represented, that Christ has reached out to all of creation, that his desire is to save all of his people. And in heaven, we hear every tongue 
that is, every language confess the name of Christ. So uh, he is reaching out his arms over the whole of creation. And we read again about that tribulation, that suffering, uh, that we can experience uh, ourselves. We have the opportunity to experience suffering. Why aren't I seeing more smiles here? We have opportunity to suffer for the gospel, right? We should celebrate this, right? We, we in this country, uh, we, uh, we censor ourselves, don't we? We don't need a government to do it. We do it for ourselves. It's not polite. It's not the right time, uh, right? I might lose something. Uh, we have the opportunity to suffer um, ourselves. And again, uh, we're washed in the blood of the lamb. And that blood of the lamb, of course, is that loving sacrifice uh, that Christ offers. And uh, we read that, uh, that it is uh, Christ himself who is the lamb who gathers us together. And why is he called the lamb here? Why is it so important? Because the lamb is the sacrifice, right? He isn't representing himself here in his victory as a king. He's not representing himself in his victory as this great military leader. He's representing himself in this great victory as the sacrifice, is the one who lays himself down. And this is how we share in the victory of Christ. We share in that victory by being willing to lay down our lives for those that we love. And this is the summary of the faith, isn't it? To love God and love our neighbor. This is exactly what St. Paul does here in the letter to the Ephesians. In in verse 15, he summarizes the faith. Uh, He just kind of seems to slip it into this uh, letter. If you blinked, you might miss it. But he summarizes the faith here. He says, For this reason I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, right? Your faith in Jesus. And and what does that mean? What does faith mean? Faith means, uh, right, listening and being obedient. This is love. Faith is love. When we are faithful, we are loving because we have our eyes on Christ. We have our eyes on his life and on his message. And when we participate in his self-sacrificing, then we are faithful. Uh, It's not an idea that we have in our heads. It's not just uh, saying, oh, yes, I believe in God or yes, I believe in Jesus. But our whole lives are given over to to serving him and to walking with him. And then he says, your love towards all the saints. So this is the summary of the law. This is the summary of the Christian life for St. Paul. He's saying our, our faith in our Lord Jesus and our love for all the saints. Again, that love is a sacrificial love. And it's for the saints, it's for the church, it's for those who love uh, Christ. And this is what makes us a family. We're a family in Christ because of our love for one another and our love for him. If we want to be in the church, but we want to do it without loving one another, we've missed the point, haven't we? We've missed what makes us the church. We have to love one another to love Christ and vice versa. And so then uh, he says that when we have that love, when we have that faithfulness, uh, then the eyes of our hearts are enlightened. See, what happens when we love, when we practice that self-sacrificial love is that the eyes of our hearts change. When we think about Christian anthropology, we think about the heart as being not just a place of emotion, but the place of, of reason and emotion which are united in the Christian person, right? We're not led by emotion, we're not led by reason, but we're led by emotion and reason uh, put together perfectly, and the heart is where that takes place. 
where our thoughts and our feelings are perfectly united and focused upon Christ. And, and that heart has eyes. It has the ability to perceive and to, to see the world. And so when we look at one another, we look at the world, we look at God, we look at it with these eyes of the heart that have been enlightened. That is, that they um, have the light of Christ and they're uh, cleaned and illuminated so that we can clearly perceive one another. We can clearly perceive uh, the world. And we have to have this happen. This has to happen. We have to have our hearts enlightened. Uh, because that's the only way that we're going to be able to do the hard stuff that Jesus is talking about in St. Luke's Gospel this morning. Uh, because he gets radical real quick, doesn't he? Um, it, it's very difficult um, to understand. And he says that, uh, that this is what prepares us to live in this heavenly place, in this age that is to come, uh, where Christ is the head of the whole church, which is his body, again, uh, which is the fullness of all in all. Right? And he's saying that it's not just in this age, but also in the age to come. So once again, he's saying the church is not just for this age, but the age to come. The church is forever. We are in a forever institution, in an eternal institution, in an eternal body that will never uh, die. And so as we're in this eternal body, in this eternal kingdom, then uh, Jesus tells us, what does it take to live in this kingdom? What does it take to live in this body? And in St. Luke's Gospel, it's a little bit different than what we've read uh, in, in Matthew's Gospel or studied there on Wednesday nights uh, with the Beatitudes. It's a little bit different. In Luke's Gospel, uh, this is the Sermon on the Plain. We read here that he's in a flat place rather than in, in Matthew's Gospel, where we read the Sermon on the Mount, where he's on this high place. In Luke's Gospel, it's this uh, Sermon on the Plain, and he reduces the Beatitudes to those first three. We just get those first three Beatitudes, and then we get the result. So you'll see, if you look, uh, that the, the Beatitudes here, uh, just like Matthew's Gospel, are these first three. Uh, to be poor, which means to be poor in spirit, Right To recognize, I need God. I can't do it myself. I need to be a member of the church. Uh, to be meek, which means I'm not elevating myself. I'm not putting myself first. I'm not uh, trying to get what I need, but I'm willing to, to humble myself, which we've been reading about over and over in the gospel, right? That he who humbles himself will be exalted. So we have to have that meekness. And then those who mourn, we have to recognize our sins. We have to be willing to mourn over our sins and to mourn over the sins of others. So again, we get these three very important Beatitudes, which are the, the heart of the attitude of the Christian believer. And it's when we practice these, when we practice this poverty of spirit and this meekness and this mourning, that's when these eyes of the heart become enlightened. That's when we start to be able to see one another as we're supposed to see uh, because if, if we're not mourning the sins of others, we're condemning, right? The only thing that keeps us from pointing at one another and saying, boy, did you mess up? But why did you do it that way? Why don't you understand this? Why don't you do things the way I want you to do? The only thing that keeps us from having that arrogant attitude of criticism is to recognize one another and to say, you're suffering like I'm suffering, you're struggling the way that I'm struggling. I've had that problem too. I've, I've got that difficulty too. And when we mourn one another's sins, then we get that, that ability to love. And then Jesus summarizes it here. He says, when we have these three attitudes, then we have the, the summary or the result, which is that people will hate us for it. Yay! Right? 
It's a wonder we don't have a line out the door, huh? Like they do for the pot store around the corner, huh? Because what's the difference, right? Get high and forget? Or what we're saying, which is recognize what you've done and repent. And when we do that, when we call one another to repent, we'll be hated for it. And so that fourth beatitude, if you will, isn't about what we do, but it's the result of what happens when we follow Christ. And he says, uh, don't be surprised, because they hated the prophets too. Haven't you read how the prophets were received? Not well. And then again, unlike Matthew's gospel, he has these woes. And so he looks at the other side. He says, or you can choose this other side, right? Uh, You can party now, right? Uh, You can be rich now which is to be full of yourself. He's not talking about how much money you've got in the bank here. He's talking about the attitude of richness, which is, I'm all right. Don't worry about me. I got it. I'm cool. I got everything I need. Right? To say, I'm full. Right? This is what the world loves. The world loves cool, apathy, reserve. I'm all right. And so he says, if that's the attitude that we have, That's the attitude of the world. And he says, people will speak well of you for it. It's what makes people popular, right? Cool people are apathetic, don't care. I'm great. I don't need anything. Self-contained. And then he summarizes this attitude and he says, we've got to treat others the way that we want to be treated. Sometimes people hold this up as the highest example of the Christian life. This is the bottom level of the virtuous life. This is what we teach little kids. This is what we teach people that grow up. Treat others the way you want to be treated, right? This is what we teach in kindergarten. We hopefully are going to grow up to be greater than that, right? We're going to ask harder and harder things as we mature as Christians, Finally, he says at the height of this Christian life, he says, love your enemies. Who can do that? Hard to do. How do we love our enemies? Again, by mourning our own sins. We have to be able to see them as human beings and to say, I know what you've gone through. I know how you've suffered. I know uh, what it is that's brought you to this place. I know what's brought you to anger. I know what's brought you to resentment. I know what's got you crying out for vengeance. I get it. And to be able to love that person anyways. This is the goal of the Christian life. Anybody there yet? That's, that's how you make it on the wall. That's what we mean by a saint. They've done it. This is how the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was able to stand up and he was able to say, I love those people who are persecuting me and to keep preaching the gospel, right? This is how the great saints have been able to stand up. This is how St. Stephen, when he's being stoned by the Jews in the Acts of the Apostles, said, don't hold it against them. Forgive them of their sins. These are the great saints of the church that have gone before us. And this is the path that we need to be on. And finally, he says, we have to be merciful. Because that's the only way that we're going to get mercy. Do you want mercy? Be merciful. 
There's no other way to get it. And the only way to have that mercy in our hearts is to have that love of self-sacrifice and to beg for God's grace. To know that His grace and mercy is all that will ever transform our hearts. We've been welcomed into the life of the church, to the life of the saints, and and we've been invited to put on that armor of God, to put on that, that shield of faith and that belt of truth and those shoes of peace and that helmet of, of uh, salvation, that breastplate of righteousness, that sword of the word of God. We've been invited uh, to be in that church militant. We've been invited to, to come to the front lines of this fight. And sometimes when we get out of this church and we get to our business and we get to our daily lives, it can feel really alone. Huh? Especially if you get on social media. And you start to read all the crazy stuff that people think and do and say. It's easy to start feeling like, am I the only one who is maintaining the faith? Has everybody gone crazy in the world? Uh, Where is the church in all of this? And this is when we need to redouble our prayers and to remember that what we're about to do here when we open the windows into heaven with prayer and we invite the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, all the company of heaven to be united with us, that we don't just do that on Sundays. We do that every day. In prayer, we need to be inviting all of the company of heaven to join with us and to commend us and to build us up and to intercede for us and to comfort us. Because we cannot do it alone. Being in the church means we are never alone. They are always with us. They are always encouraging us. And the Lamb is always in our hearts to build us up in His faith through love. With all the saints and all the company of heaven.